Welcome to Pregnancy Help Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Heartbeat International's annual conference. This year, Heartbeat will again host both an in-person experience and an online event. Join us in Jacksonville, Florida, March 30th through April 1st. Registration is open now at heartbeatservices.org. Okay, everyone, thank you for joining us today. So if you're here, that means that you have probably subscribed to our podcast. And um, hopefully this is popping up like a little notification on your phone, letting you know that we have a new goodie for you on the Pregnancy Help Podcast. So today is our monthly um, maternity housing episode. So today we're going to be talking about a bit of a nuanced subject, uh, talking about eligibility criteria, occupancy rate, what is occupancy rate? Uh, and I decided to dive into that today with Foundation House Ministries out of Tennessee. So today on this podcast, we have Suzanne Burns and Lisa Holmes from Foundation House. So what we're going to be doing is picking their brains about how do they think uh, when it's time for them to make decisions. And I know that sounds a little odd, but one of the things I've found, particularly in maternity housing, is that if we spend all of our time learning what to think, this is the way or this is not the way, it becomes outdated or irrelevant to our particular ministry so quickly. So what we've really been trying to do at the NMHC is provide content that helps you to have a lens through which you could determine how to think about a dilemma or think about a problem. And so Suzanne and Lisa have generously hopped on the podcast today uh, to let me walk through that with them in front of everyone. So that's great. So thank you, uh, Lisa and Suzanne, for joining us today. Yeah, we're glad to be here. Yes, we are. Okay, so uh, before we get into it, tell us about you. What Tell us about Foundation House Ministries and you two. I am, this is Suzanne. I'm the founder and executive director. We are seven and a half years old. We have a, um, we have a residential program and a non-residential program. And we also have a job training program that consists of manufacturing um, lotions and soaps and candles, as well as um, two retail stores. So we have a wide variety of things going on. We have, in our seven years, we have served over a hundred moms through housing and over 600 total between our residential and non-residential programs. So you have residential and non-residential. And I yes. heard, did I hear a social enterprise in there? Is that correct? Yes, exactly. Okay. We do it all. <laughs> okay. And tell me again where manufacturing came in. Uh, yeah, we do our manufacturing here on the... Uh, on the upstairs floor with our offices. That's awesome. We do um, lotions, soaps, wax melts, candles, candles. healingspringsgifts.com. We make wonderful Christmas presents. Yes, we do. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah, it's Christmas time. So I hope everyone picked up on that plug. Um, healingspringsgifts.com. Was that right? Yes. yes I know we would exactly. all love to support our uh, fellow homes in the community. And so, Lisa, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do in the ministry. Well, I am Director of Client Services. I actually live on site with with the girls. We have uh, two homes on the property at present with plans to expand. Uh, so I, I live in one house and the girls live in, in the other, really close proximity. Um, 
and I do um, pretty much anything client related from um, screenings, uh, designing the programs that they will do, um, making individual plans for each one of them, deciding who comes in, who doesn't come in. And I also have a a staff underneath me that is really stepping up to be able to take over some of those roles, to be able to do some interviews, be able to do some uh, decision-making on their own. And so I found that that's really releasing for me. Um, I'm also working on our expansion um, that we want to do, which would be the new house and opening up into new territories around our general area. Um, I'm just pretty much do anything that I'm needed to do. And where there's a hole, I fill it and then try to get somebody else to come in and take it over. <laughs> fill it instead. I yeah. think we can all yeah. relate to that. I really do. <laughs> Um, okay, so you said that you've served about a hundred women in seven and a half years. Was that right? Through, Through the, the house, home, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm sorry, residentially. Thank you. It, yeah, I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but do you know ballpark of how many you've served non-residentially? About six hundred. Wow, total. that that includes the hundred yeah. in the house. Okay, mm-hmm. so wow, that's great. Um, so how long do your moms stay with you at Foundation House residentially? They can stay up to, well, they can stay as long as necessary. Typically, that looks like a year to to longer. Um, but some girls, of course, only stay a week. Some girls stay three days. The ones that are the most successful stay the longest. But we do not have a um, an end date, a um, an across-the-board end date. We have a client-specific end date. Okay. You know, I've noticed that that is a, um, a growing trend in the community because the needs of the clients are um, increasingly varied. I'll say that. And then also yeah. we've seen some uh, increased need overall, just period. And mm-hmm. so one standard uh, structure, I think many of us are finding just doesn't quite fit the bill like it once did before. And so it's interesting to hear you talking about that. I've I've heard several, several others moving that direction. I also, in doing so with uh, success, this is off topic. So I'm just going to throw this one question out, but don't let me rabbit trail too long. But do you find that, or you, this may be the only way you've done it, but do you suspect that when women don't have an end date, and therefore they are somewhat in charge of that plan. So they have an element of control with goals and what needs to be accomplished and what they're going to do. Do you find that they choose to stay longer? I don't, I don't know that that is really a factor. Um, Typically I've got it refined to where when I look at a phone interview, I can tell what the out is going to be for that client. So if we're on the same page, then most of the time that will flow Along, along that line, sometimes you find out things are different than what they say, but the ones who stay longer are able to sustain their stability longer. And that that is what our goal became. Uh, Twelve weeks just was not enough time that, that I could get them in an apartment. We could get them in a car. We could get them in a job. But if they can't sustain it, all we're doing is repeating that cycle. So that's why we chose to kind of let them be in control of how long they stay based on the progress that they're making. They're never stagnant. 
they're never stagnant in the program. They're always moving forward, achieving something different. And that might be stepping up into a, a peer mentor relationship or um, an RA at the house, different things sure. like that. So letting them take ownership in their stability. That makes sense. Now, one of the things we've been talking about is how the pandemic has really impacted uh all of us in different ways. And one of those ways is talking, some homes have found that their beds are not full and they can't keep their beds full. And other homes are saying our beds are so full and we've got women at the door, figuratively speaking, lined up, ready to come in. Just currently, where do y'all fall in that dynamic right now? Well, actually, um, we are pretty full. And for us, um, that means that we have currently two girls in the house, um, which can accommodate nine. So for us, full is relative. It, it's, more, um, it's more capacity of managing the, the need level of each client well, not necessarily the specifics of how many beds are in, currently in use. So we use the term a little bit differently. Okay. Okay. I like that. So need level is interesting to me. Suzanne, you know, this is an interesting point because I think that that's a, an articulate way to, to say it, to term it, need level. You know, many ministries find themselves in this flux of trying to determine what need level can they meet. And sometimes that is predetermined, right? And black and white and what we would call eligibility criteria. And for some, it's not black and white. And for some, it varies per per resident. Um, and so I recognize that we all approach this from a different perspective. But I, I'm curious to know, um, what is the perspective through which Foundation House is viewing their need level and your ability to meet that need? You know, how do you decide, yes, I can do it or no, I can't? Um, typically, what we do is we look at the number of children that they have or have had uh, that maybe they don't have custody of, um, how far along they are in their pregnancy, um, their level of substance abuse, um, which none of these things in and of themselves are automatic outs. We look at the whole picture, their mental health history, any psych meds that they've been on before, um, any psych meds they're currently taking, and just an overall, their ages is a factor. If you have four kids already that you don't have custody of and you're 39, 40 years old, and you're going to have another one and you're going to parent, I'm going to be less likely to feel like I can help you than I am someone who maybe has one child or, or is pregnant with one and has one and is a little bit younger. It's different for each one. So if I have somebody with a high level of mental illness, but there's no substance abuse, there's no other children involved, uh, trauma is relatively smaller um, in um, how it's affected them, then I can handle that person better than I can someone who has significant mental illness plus substance abuse plus trauma, plus has had previous pregnancies. What is this person's potential? If they're on disability for a mental illness and they're making six, $700 a month, they're really at the capacity that they're going to be able to do for the rest of their life. So you're looking at either taking them in long-term 
or you're going to have to say, you know, no, I can't deal with this and, and take it to you know, an agency maybe who can handle that better. Um, but typically mental health, the level of substance abuse, the level of trauma, age, and number of children that they've had. And are there any considerations that you take into account regarding your your staff or the person, the people, the volunteers that are going to be serving that that resident? Uh, yes, definitely. yes, definitely. Uh, we we do a pretty comprehensive volunteer training to give them the overall um, view of what they may or may not see on any given day. Volunteers that are going to work specifically with the clients or and staff for that matter are trained um, a little bit more in depth and their training is continual. They're constantly learning because the clients are constantly teaching us something every day. Not every volunteer or staff member will work direct client service, but they will all be in the area where clients are, can be, will be interviewing. Um, we try to structure the training program where it is an overall training program and then a specific role training as well. So that makes that makes perfect sense to me. And I, I, I think that probably lands pretty similar with others. So I'm going to I'm going to ask this and I'm just going to guess that I might know a part of the answer that's going to come out of it only because I know my own experience. <laughs> and so of being in ministry, but, you know, I'm curious, uh, you've been open for seven and a half years. What was the journey like? Uh, in which you landed on this is the way that we are going to evaluate her need level and our ability to serve her. Did that change over time or did you start from day one and you just knew this is the way we're going to do it? (laughs) Yeah, no, I I don't think we knew a single thing from day one. Uh Um, We, we only learn, we, I can't say the world, but we (laughs) only learn by doing it wrong the first time. Uh, maybe the first dozen times, first couple hundred times, we learned piece by piece, step by step. And um, as we allowed the Lord to lead us, as we kept returning to him with, yes, Lord, I don't know what it looks like, but yes, he has brought us clients who taught us things. And then afterwards, when we blew it up by accident, um, he taught us the understanding why he taught, he brought us a book or a training or a certification or some kind of teaching that helped us to understand first we had to see it and then we could learn it. And then the next clients, we could begin to apply it. So it's been very much a journey that has been led by the Holy spirit, but in, um, in our submission to, this is not our ministry. This is his ministry. And our job is to serve the women that he sends us. And so if he's sending us a a, a pool of women who seem to have a similar need, then obviously he needs us to learn how to serve that need. When we first started, we learned about the poverty mindset. And then as we began to understand that, then he began teaching us about trauma and about the underlying reasons behind the the brain rewiring that has taken place. And then as we began to get comfortable in that, he began sending us women with heavier addiction levels. And as we began to uh, understand that, he began sending us some with a higher level of mental illness and, and mental health diagnoses. And so it's been a gradual progression, but it's been one where he has very clearly guided us through um, seeing it and doing it wrong 
and then learning how to do it better and then beginning to apply how to do it better until he sends us new things. So we just see ourselves on a journey of, of just, yes, Lord. You know, and given permission, yeah, to say no was really difficult for us. Yeah. It was always a yes, bed empty, put a head in it. But learning to say no and knowing that it's the right decision was a difficult journey. And, and it's still not easy. But one of the biggest things that we learned was in the beginning, we all set goals. But those goals that we set have to be realistic based on what they're able to do at that moment. And so reassessment of the client as you go through every time they reach a couple of goals one goal may just be getting out of bed in the morning and and showing up for class or showing up for work and if they can achieve that and maintain that then they've gained um they've gained that experience they're sustaining that so then you add another goal in there instead of piling it all on at one making it look like a a one straight line it's not It, it is something that has to be constantly reassessed over and over and over, especially as you get to know that client and you find out one of the biggest things for us was finding out all the things we didn't know after they were already there for three or four months. So it's just learning every single day and being willing to adapt and do it a different way. And I always felt guilty if I only knew what I knew now when this girl was here, we could, but, but that's not true because you had to live through that particular experience to gain that wisdom. Absolutely. And thanks for sharing that. You know, talking about this gradual progression and learning over time uh, about, first of all, what the needs are, the needs level, the ability to meet those needs and uh, willingness to meet those needs, just all of it all together, gradually changing over time. Um, It reminds me of, you know, quite a few conversations that have been coming my way from um, affiliates uh, that are members of our National Maternity Housing Coalition. And um, I, one of the things that we provide to those affiliates are uh, monthly consultations or the ability to send in a question, a dilemma that you're facing. And um, barring that being something extreme, we have committed to respond to those questions uh, through some form of content. And so today, one of the ones that's coming to my mind is this dilemma that I've had from several people now and that, you know, I'm getting questions like, Valerie, my beds, my house is empty and my beds are not full. Am I doing something wrong? And, you know, we talk about this and have a conversation. And as we dig a little deeper one of their main dilemmas that that I'm hearing is that, you know, their phone is ringing and they're getting inquiries or applications from women in the community, but those women don't meet their eligibility criteria for their home. And so therefore they're not able to serve them. So it brings up this real interesting balancing act of um, how how might we evaluate when we need to adapt our programming, you know, in this instance, perhaps the eligibility criteria based on the needs of the community, but also not slipping into mission drift, right? And remaining true to the mission that God called us to do. Um, Have y'all found yourselves thinking about this or in this scenario before? Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, at the root of it, the question is, what is the mission? And the mission is to serve moms. At least that's our answer. 
um, period. Moms in Crisis is our mission field in our 13 county radius. So beyond that, then the question becomes, why is this particular line item on my eligibility list? Is what is the reasoning behind why it's here? Um, if this is if this is the kind of girl that's coming, like for example, say um, we don't take clients with a criminal history, for example, and then you start getting more and more calls who have a criminal history, you need to go back and reevaluate. Why is this on my eligibility format in the first place? Is it still viable? Is this something that I put that we as the the board, as the um, ED, as the staff, whomever, is this something that we put on out of fear, out of feelings of inadequacy, and we don't know how to handle this? Or is this something that we felt like we cannot accommodate, period, because of staff training, staff, um, staff knowledge? Is this something that needs to be changed because we have grown and we can now accommodate that? Or is this something that is still a fixed barrier? Um, for many homes, uh, a, a, an easy fixed barrier might be having children with them um, simply because they don't have the room for that. And that makes perfect sense. But other homes might be able to rearrange rooms, might be able to um, to do things a different way and better accommodate the clientele that are coming in, or at least that are calling so that they can come in. So it's it's being willing to go back and reevaluate every line. Is this still accurate or is this something that I simply need to learn? Do I need to learn the court system? Do I need to study um, how, how mental health or how trauma affects or do I need to study how addiction is a little bit different because there are ways to learn all of this. Mm -hmm. If the Lord is sending you clients to be helped, then you have to ask him, how do I help this person? And he will provide an answer always. Yeah, I believe it's instead of absolutes, we absolutely can't take this person. We absolutely can't take that criteria. You, you have to look at this person as a whole and say they have a criminal history, but they have no substance abuse. They have really no mental illness. They just did something just stupid. So, you know, you have to look at it on a scale. And and I, I don't assign a specific number to this person and say, okay, if you're a, a five or over, you're out. If you're a you know, five and under you're in, but looking at that big picture and figuring out what your non-negotiables are, why they're non-negotiable. And if maybe they can be negotiable, if these other factors aren't present at the same time, um, child abuse conviction, absolutely. We, we would not take, um, if there were other moms in the home. Now, if that was the only mom and we were ever only going to get one mom, I don't know. I, you know, I don't know. It would depend on the circumstance, but being open to, yeah, to accepting the nuances and to accept that maybe there's a sliding scale there. It's not black and white. It's not yes or no. It's not, there have to be some non-negotiables, but if there's, if we're getting sent the same person over and over and over, there's a reason for that. And it's time for us to get out of our comfort zone and maybe grow. And I know a lot of the problem that we had with our board was getting them to understand why we were suddenly doing things differently, why we were accepting this, not accepting that, and educating them continually because they're not there on a day-in and day-out basis. And all they see is like the monthly 
reports that you do and everything's the story. So trying to make it as real as possible for your board members and getting them on board with learning uh, who you're getting, you know, showing the trends. There's there's trends. Um, there's age. Sometimes they're all seven months pregnant when they come in. Sometimes there's three months pregnant and it, it seems to run in cycles. So really opening yourself up to fewer non-negotiables and more of a sliding scale of, um, you know, how big a threat would this person be or, you know, how, what could we do to serve this person um, that maybe we are equipped for? We just need to learn a little bit differently how to do it. So not being black and white on as many issues as possible. Yeah, that's definitely something. Um, <laughs> Suzanne, I can relate to when you said earlier about uh, learning through what I would call trial and error. That's definitely one thing that I learned is that, you know, we start with one strict program and black and white and all of these things. And by the end, I'd laugh. I'd say it kind of becomes the unprogrammed program because you learn that really there's only a few things that are are absolutes and everything else is a conversation, you know, and and that was freeing, I will say, for for myself, you know, serving clients. It does bring up a thought for me. I I recall that you said you're uh, working towards expansion right now for another home. Are you planning to duplicate the same model in another home? Or are you considering meeting a same mission, but meeting a different type of need in that home? Um, well, we have we have different phases that the girls are in, and right now there's no physical separation for that. So what we want to pr- be able to provide is a place where we can take in more moms, maybe that do have one child with them, or our moms as they graduate up. So you would have the maternity house, and then you would have the transitional house next door. Um, we're kind of playing around with several different ways to do it, but. Um, trying to meet as many of those needs as possible with as much physical separation as possible, but then still continuity of uh, the ministry and the mission. So having them both on one site definitely has its pluses. And and then you're bringing in some of the, the older girls, the ones that have been there, been through the program are now in transitional housing. They can model for the girls that are just coming in and, and work together. And that, that's kind of working for us now. We just don't have the physical barrier um, that a house, a separate house would bring. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And sounds like a, a, a healthy growth milestone as well. Uh, so that's exciting. And I'm sure it's exciting doing that, um, spreading that message in the community to donors and to your community, uh, expanding for growth and because it's working is a, is a fun thing. Uh, as I wrap up, there's, I like to ask people in our community, uh, the question around this ballpark. So um, I, I kind of want to bounce it off of both of y'all, but I would love to know what is, what have you learned about the attributes of God through this ministry experience? Or maybe if you just want to say, what is something you learned about one of the attributes of God through this ministry experience? Probably going to say the same thing. He has a big <laughs> sense of humor. <laughs> yeah, That's definitely, definitely the case. I think we've learned about his goodness and his faithfulness and um, oh gosh, we've learned about his endless capacity to love and to empower us to love endlessly. Um, 
I think one of the things that we've learned the the best, the, the greatest, is that we really can love unconditionally as God loves. Um, we don't necessarily have to like, we don't have to approve of, we, um, you know, there's a lot of nuance to that, but we can love these women unconditionally exactly as he already loves them. And another thing Suzanne always says, uh, you know, he doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. And that was really hard for me to learn, always feeling inadequate. You know, who am I to serve this person? You know, who am I to be making decisions on whether or not she has a bed tonight or whether or not she remains in our program when really those decisions aren't aren't ours? They're they're not ours at all. They're between the Lord and, and the client. And Sometimes they make decisions that are just not right, but be, knowing that you're equipped to handle whatever he sends your way, um, because you might do it wrong the first time, but the next time you're not. And that's how we grow. That's how we gain wisdom. It's not given to the young. It's given to us uh, through experience and as as we grow. Well, thank you, ladies, so much for being open books for us. I appreciate it. For those that were listening today, Suzanne Burns is also a member of our National Maternity Housing Coalition Council. Isn't that a mouthful? <laughs> but what that means is that for those that are affiliates of Heartbeat International, that you actually have an opportunity to connect with um, specialists in the community, such as myself and Suzanne, even uh, to have a 20 minute conversation to bounce a thought off of or to learn. And so I coordinate those consultations. Uh, and you're welcome to reach out to me. You can do that at housing at heartbeatinternational.org. If you're not already connected with us on our Facebook page or our Facebook group, you can look us up at National Maternity Housing Coalition. So be sure to tune in with us. We have webinars every month, podcasts every month, and a thriving Facebook community. We look forward to seeing you there.